Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody, it's G Marks again, and thanks so much for making it back to another episode of the Paychecks Pod- uh, Podcast Thrive. I'm so had that, happy that you are here. Um, Diego Munoz, um, thank you so much for joining me. Diego is a covers labor for Bloomberg Industry Group, um, and this conversation is going to be all about um, labor and what's going on in Washington, and a little bit what's going on around the country uh, that could impact your business. Um, not, you know, I don't want to say Diego doesn't, he's not a policymaker. He's not a politician. He covers this for a living. Uh, I've been very, very curious. I follow him. Um, I'm a fan of his work and I, I, I think it's very important to hear, uh, what some of his insights are and some of the things that are going on in Washington as they will be impacting our businesses. So first of all, Diego, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Gene. I am glad you're here. You're based in Washington. You write for Bloomberg. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be writing for Bloomberg. Sure. So um, I I was at uh, Bloomberg uh, News last summer covering Capitol Hill. Um, before that, I was in uh, New York um, working for WNYC, the, the uh, NPR affiliate there. Um, and I, I came to D.C. because I always wanted to cover Congress and was working at uh, Bloomberg News covering kind of general uh, assignment on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, back then, it was a lot on um, the, the Inflation Reduction Act and kind of the whole drama surrounding Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Um, and then after that, I moved uh, to Bloomberg Law, where I've been since um, November now, um, covering labor on Capitol Hill. So I cover everything related from uh, unions to uh, the workplace safety, workplace um, regulation, um, the the relationship between Congress and um, the Department of Labor and the National Labor Relations Board. Um, so covering really everything related to the workplace um, uh, and regulation on the workplace on Capitol Hill. It is a hot area that you're covering, isn't it? I mean, you you jumped into a topic that's super big, right? Yeah, it certainly is big right now. Um, we have um, a lot of new rules coming out of the Department of Labor and the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, uh, to make it yep. short. Um, and, you know, now we have a split Congress, so Republicans control the House. And, you know, with a Democratic administration, you have a lot of clashes uh, between them on how far these rules should go. And a lot of them would rescind past Republican rules from the Trump administration. Um, and so, you know, non-competes, um, the, the over, o- overtime pay, independent contractor, which is a huge, uh, um, huge topic for the the app based economy and the gig economy. So yeah, it's I mean it's a pretty hot topic right now, and uh, lawmakers are have their eyes all over it. You know, uh, so we're we're having this conversation right now. It's it's we're, we're in the first half of May. Uh, by the time that this podcast gets published, we might have a new Secretary of Labor. <laughs> we might not. Uh, currently, it's Marty Walsh who um, was ex-mayor of Boston, big union guy, president of a union in, in, you know, in the Boston area. Um, 
He's been Secretary of Labor since the beginning of the Biden administration. Much smarter guy than I thought he was, mainly because he recently announced his resignation to go to work for the NHL, which to <laughs> me, I think is an awesome move. Uh, so because of that, they're now, you know, now we're in the hunt for a replacement. Julie Sue is, um, is, is, has been nominated. She has, you know, passed the sort of committee vote in the Senate, but uh, there is still a question whether or not she will get Senate approval as nominated. I don't think, you know, even as we're talking right now, and people are listening to this conversation, whoever is Secretary of Labor under the Biden administration, I don't think that's going to impact too much the, the the momentum that's already been started with some of these rules. Is that is that a fair statement to make? That is fair, particularly because the sec- secretaries, um, they lead the department. Um, and of course, they have some sway over the rules. But the, the, these, the rulemaking process is really kind of a, um, uh, it, it engages the whole department, not just the secretary. So, you know, things right. that, and, and it's a long process. So, you know, some of these, they have to go through a proposal, then they have to hear comments from the public, then they have to make adjustments. The rules are fairly comprehensive. They're long documents. Um, so, yeah, um, in that sense, I don't think that um, uh, the new secretary is going to make um, much much of an impact there. But wh- the way they do impact is um, the, the department may be a little hesitant to publish a rule without a confirmed secretary. Right. So, you know, right. the, these rules are coming up in the regulatory agenda. I think the independent contractor one would be now in May. And, you know, without a confirmed secretary, that kind of pushes things off a little bit. There is also the overtime pay one. Um, so that's kind of, I think, the, the way that it, the, the, the lack of a confirmed secretary most impacts these rules. I think you're right. I, you know, I also think that if you have um, that, that secretary serves as a figurehead and if that person is, um, you know, a good enough salesperson, you know, like, for example, these worker classification rules, which I'm going to ask you about in just a second, you know, when they do come out, I mean, I, I think you're going to need a secretary of labor to be out there saying, you know, this is why we're having this and to explain it to the public and like sort of be the face of it. And if you don't have somebody in that role, it definitely uh, makes it harder um, and could delay things, which is uh, which is of interest. These rules that we're about to talk about, and I do want to hit on some of these. These are rules, right, Diego? I mean, these are not laws. Right. So if the Department of Labor comes up with some of these rules and regulations, Congress did not pass them, and they could always be changed or overturned in the next administration. Before we get started, is that correct? That's correct. And actually, they can be overturned by Congress itself uh, through a, okay. a resolution under the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to overturn a rule uh, by majority vote in both uh, houses. Uh, the, this, the interesting thing there is that it doesn't require it, it kind of circumvents the filibuster in the Senate. So it only requires 50 uh, votes, but uh, or 51 rather, but they do require a president's signature. So um, it is kind of difficult to think that President Biden would sign a resolution that would overturn uh, his administration's own rule. That is very interesting. I did not I did not know that. And I guess I did not know that. And and I guess like if say they pass the worker classification rule, which again we're gonna talk about in a minute. Um, but they, you know, and then like Congress votes by majority to rescind that rule, 
that would have to be signed by President Biden or else it just, you know, and, and so again, the likelihood of that happening, um, you know, is, is pretty minimal. Okay. Let's, um, let's talk about some of these roles and you do, you know, we did, you know, mention worker classification. I mean, Diego, that scares, it, it scares the hell out of so many of my clients. You know, I mean, they see what's going on in California. I have clients that, uh, my company, I mean, I, I, I have independent contractors in my company. Um, we do technology services. So, um, you know, I bill out my contractors to customers, you know, like I pay them 50 bucks an hour and I bill my clients a hundred bucks an hour. And, um, and sometimes it's 10 hours a week. Sometimes it's 30 hours a week. It depends. You know, you know my business is going to be impacted, I think, by this rule. Give us your thoughts on this worker classification rule. If you can explain what it is, and I'm curious to hear, you mentioned May, so I'm curious to hear what you think the timeline is of this happening. Right. So I think the timeline would be, it, it is very dependent on the confirmation um, of a new uh, secretary, in this case, the nominee is uh, Julie Su. Uh, so the this new rule would kind of go back to more of an Obama era uh, interpretation of of classification of workers because the, the the rule currently in place which comes out of the uh, Trump administration is kind of a novel approach it's a five uh, uh, factor test uh, which has really two core elements uh, they that they look at um, the the Biden administration would be a six factor so it looks at, at a, a, a few uh, factors in the relationship between the between either the employer and employee or the you know the company and the contractor to determine uh, that if if that is a uh, what would be the classification of that worker so um, you know it does get um, a lot of um, particularly the app uh, um, employers uh, concerned about it because it would make it easier to classify workers has employees rather than independent contractors. So yeah. it, it, that's kind of where um, the, the rule would go. It would make it easier for employers, for, for employees, uh, I'm sorry, for workers to be classified as employees rather than independent contractors. So a lot of independent contractors um, currently uh, in that role could be um, um, classified as employees after this rule. Yeah, it is. It could. And I think the key word that they use in this new definition is like whether that contractor is integral to your business, you know, it's if they're, you know, which which a lot of people are reading whether or not they're they're generating revenue for their business is considered to be integral. And, um, you know, and that, that that's definitely a concern. You know, it's just uh, it, it also questions, you know, there's so many independent contractors and freelancers, many of them are opposed to this rule. And I don't know if you cover them or get their input as to as to why they're opposed to this. Um, plus, we have so many new startup applications over the past few years, and there are a lot of freelancers and people with side gigs, and they might be affected by this rule. And I just wonder if you just have any thoughts, like what, what do you think is driving this worker classification rule? We have such a gig economy, so many people that are, that seem to be, that, that, that like their independence, um, but then you've got the government saying, no, we we're still going to push you into being employees of companies. What do you think is driving that? Right. So I think the big debate here is there is a, a, a one side is saying that um, that that independent contractor 
classification gives you more freedom. It gives you more flexibility. Um, if you're, let's say, an Uber driver, a Lyft driver, uh, or right. Instacart uh, delivery driver, you can make your own schedule. You can work at your own hours. Um, you have more freedom to choose when you work, when you don't work, um, which is something that people give a lot of value to. And uh, a lot of freelancers appreciate uh, this, this freedom. The other side says that, well, a lot of employers take advantage of the standard that we have now to um, misclassify workers. So when they're really employees, the employers are treating them as independent contractors and not giving them overtime pay or not letting them um, collectively bargain if they want to make a union. Um, so the, and what the, this side kind of argues is that employees also can have some flexibility. Uh, but then the other side says, well, not as much flexibility as you would have as a freelancer or as a you know, somebody that works with the apps. So, you know, it's kind of a, uh, it's an effort from Democrats and the, and the administration to really come down on what they call misclassification when employers intentionally um, um, classify their workers as independent contractors when they really are employees. And the other side is saying, well, and Republicans and um, a lot of uh, business groups and freelance associations are saying, we want our flexibility and we don't we don't want to be employees. We prefer to be freelancers. Um, Senator Bill Cassidy, for example, who is the top Republican in the help committee in the Senate, which is the labor committee, said that uh, he gave an anecdote that he met um, uh, delivery, uh, uh, not a delivery, I'm sorry, a, a driver, I think, for one of these apps that said he was making, uh, um, I think, $500 a day. I don't quote me on the amount, but it was kind of a high amount. Yeah. And he said, yeah. wow, you're making that much money. And, and they said, well, that's great. And that was in a hearing over um, some of these issues. And Sean O'Brien, who is the president of the Teamsters Union, said, well, they may be making $500, but they don't have health insurance and they don't have vacation days. So you see there, that's kind of, to me, kind of a good example of the clash here of I see. between Republicans and Democrats over the issue. Yeah, it's a that's a very very good example and a really good summary of what is going on. It, you know, when I if you're talking to businesses, when I talk to my clients and they're like, "Well, what what should we be doing?" and of course I give the standard, you know, speech of, you know, making sure you've got your documentation in order and, you know, reviewing your independent contractors with a labor attorney or with an accountant or your payroll service or whatever to see if, you know, if they're classified the right way. But at the same time, though, I mean, I'm expecting lots of lawsuits, which could delay this implementation. Is that, you know, am I wrong to be thinking that or do you do you expect the same thing, Diego? No, I expect the same thing. I mean, that that usually happens with uh, rulemaking. Uh, they, so that's why it's kind of a pretty long process, because even after they publish the, the rule and after they start enforcing the rule, uh, business groups um, in this case will likely sue. Yep. And this yep. will go to court to, to the courts and the courts will probably have uh, the final say on, on the rule if, if unless there is a change of administration in 2024, which could also rescind the rule. So, yeah, but certainly this will go to the courts. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that could delay things for sure. Okay, let's move on to another uh, big big rule that I'm expecting to see sometime this year, and I wanted to see if you agree, uh, which has to do with overtime. Um, you know, now the Obama administration revisited this um, when there was an Obama administration, and um, they tried to increase the uh, you know the upper level of wages that could be paid. Uh, so that the people could be entitled to overtime. So just for you guys listening, the the I know these numbers because I, I recently wrote about this. Um, so anybody that's generally, generally, a salaried employee not supervising anybody meets certain requirements of of what their title is and what their what their role is. Um, if they're being paid right now more than $35,568 a year, and I did that math, um, then they're not entitled to any overtime, right? They They... They could work 41 hours a week or 60 hours a week. They don't get overtime. So uh, the Obama administration tried to increase that, um, and and it lawsuits started, and the lawsuits spilled over into the Trump administration. So therefore, the lawsuits never got pursued. So we're still at that same level now. My understanding is that the Department of Labor is coming back to this, and and I wanted you to see what your understanding is as well. I also heard that 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 number that that wage number could go up as high as $80,000 a year, which was like, holy moly. So tell us what you know as of now about this change in overtime rules, because this is a costly thing for a lot of business owners. Right. So, you know, that's a very interesting rule. Um, and we're, we are following it closely and we're very curious about how it will turn out. So that one, we're still kind of earlier in the process. We haven't had a yeah. proposal yet. So first, the agency will send out a proposal, then they hear the comments, and then they finalize the rule. So while the independent contractor rule is kind of its in final stages, uh, this one is in its beginning stages. So we are hoping to see a, a, a proposal in the next months. Um, the, so you're, you're correct. Um, the, the, by the way, I'm not hoping to see a proposal, but I, I understand why you would be. <laughs> no, that, and that is what a lot of people say. A lot of people say that they're not going to see it, exactly because of the timing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we're approaching election season in, in, in 2024. And, you know, since these processes take so long, might not be enough time to make a rule. And, and this will be a rule that, will have major economic uh, consequences. Um, so the 80,000 number that you mentioned, so that's a, a democratic proposal that just came out uh, maybe last month. Um, it's spearheaded by uh, Senator Sherrod Sher Brown and uh, Congressman uh, Mark Takano in the House. Um, they've introduced similar bills in the past they would mostly codify the Obama rule that you mentioned. Uh, but this new bill has a new approach. So instead of just raising the overtime threshold to kind of a, a, a set amount, it would phase in. So uh, up until I believe it's 2026, it would increase, uh, you know, it'd go up steps from, I believe, 45,000. And go up from there, reaching uh, in 2026, I believe, 75,000. And in 2027, it would look at the, 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 um, the, the average, um, not the average, but a certain percentage, uh, percentile in, the, um, um, in salary at that time. And they projected that would be around in the upper, in the uh, early 80s. 
thousands. So that's where that number comes from. So that's a very bold proposal. Um, and, you know, I'm personally curious to see if the, the Department of Labor will try to adopt that phasing in uh, method instead of just setting a particular threshold. I'm not sure if if they do propose a rule, if it's going to be as high as that, it might be a little lower because uh, I, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that the business community would not be happy with that high of a threshold for overtime pay. I, I never understood with all these rules why they don't just, you know, they just index them and then that's it, you know? So they come out with whatever the number is and then they just say, okay, every year it's going to be, you know, reviewed again and indexed for, you know, on inflation or other factors. And, um, and that way we'll have to keep going back to it again and again and again to, you know, up it. Um, speaking of indexing, we're jumping around here, but I, I again, it, it, for, for purposes of time, tell me your thoughts on minimum wage, Diego. I mean, you know, and, and just background there. So we're at 7.25 an hour, about half the states in the country are still at 7.25. My state in Pennsylvania is $7.25 an hour. I, I don't, I don't have a single client out of my 600 clients that pay their workers $7.25 an hour. I mean, everybody's a lot more than that, but even the Trump administration was, you know, they're, they're kicking around, you know, uh, you know, even increasing the minimum wage to 11 or $12 an hour. That, that has a big impact on overall wages around the country. But right now it's kind of stuck. Um, a lot of the states and the cities are just picking up the ball on their own and doing their own minimum wage. You know, it's, it's, it's turned into a local issue. Do you think that um, a national minimum wage increase will come back on the agenda, particularly as we head into an election year and, you know, there is some bipartisan support for it and it is an election year. Um, but what, what do you hear or what do you what do you think? Well, so interestingly enough, uh, last week, Senator Bernie Sanders, who is the chair of the help committee, of which I had mentioned. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who has been a longtime advocate for raising the minimum wage, uh, yes. said in a press conference last week that um the goal is no longer $15. It's now $17 of minimum wage. And um, he he said that the, the committee that he chairs uh, will mark up a bill, which markup is a legislative language to kind of uh, vote the committee to vote on the bill and make amendments to it, make changes um, on June 14th, I believe. So um, it, it will take up this the, this new kind of idea of a seventeen dollar minimum wage. Now, and by the way, not to interrupt yeah. you, but the um, I yeah. just uh, we just interviewed um, Scott Galloway on this podcast. He's a well known right. economist, and right. um, by his numbers, if you know indexing it for economic growth and other factors, the actual minimum wage should be like twenty two bucks. Yeah, I've heard him say that. Yeah, he 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 really does believe in a higher minimum wage. So yeah, um, yeah so. You know, there is um, um, a lot of consensus in the Democratic Party to raise that minimum wage, but it's not uh, – I'm not sure they have enough votes. So in uh, 2021, uh, Democrats in their um, um, party bill attempted to include a $15 minimum wage. And I believe it was eight senators voted against it, including some yeah. well-known like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, but others who are up for re-election uh, next year, like John Tester and Angus King. 
Um, so it, 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 it's, uh, it's still a slightly controversial uh, topic um, in Congress. So we are seeing some movements. You know, there are Republican um, local governments that have raised it to 15, um, th- which is partly why Bernie Sanders is um, confident uh, that he could do something about it this time around. Uh, but it's still, I think, difficult uh, to envision a, a 15 or a $17 minimum wage coming out of um, Washington. Um, I'm not even sure any raise would would come out because uh, Democrats might be reluctant to settle for something less than that. Um, so, you know, we might be stuck with the seven seven twenty five right the minimum wage for a, a little bit I, it's funny it's a tough issue because uh you know there's so many studies that say it, it's good some say it's not good i you know we've i we interviewed i interviewed um Rand paul on this podcast about a year ago i mean he's the at the time as a ranking member of the senate small business and entrepreneurship committee and um he is against the national minimum wage. His point of view is why should my constituents in Kentucky right. be paying the same minimum wage as somebody? I mean, it's fair enough. I mean, there, there's a lot of, so it seems like, and it just seems like it's more of a local issue. And, and I wouldn't, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's going to be a tough sell to see that actually turn into legislation. Yeah. A lot of Republicans do say that they say that this should be a state issue that, um, the, what uh, the minimum wages in New York necessarily wouldn't work out in Kansas or yeah. Missouri. So um, it is it is a, an issue that Republicans tend to say should be uh, at the local level. But, you know, yeah. there are some more populist Republicans in this Congress yeah. that uh, might be willing to raise the minimum wage. But still, like I said before, I think uh, the 60 vote threshold, which what would be necessary in the Senate for this, um, is still a little uh, yeah. ways away. And raise and raising the minimum wage is a law. That's legislation. Right. That's not something the Department of Labor is gonna is gonna do. All right, um, we're running near the end of our time. I've covered less than half of the things I wanted to talk to you about, <laughs> Diego. This is like crazy, but uh, your insights are great. Um, so I'm I'm just picking this issue up because I'm seeing it grow so much in popularity. I I, I put together a slide for a presentation I did recently on like all of the states and cities that now mandate paid time off, you know, and um, for sick pay. And then there's like three states. I mean, Illinois just passed a law that is now mandating, you know, vacation time for employers, regardless of their, you know, what the reason is. It's not a sick time. It's just vacation. I, I'm Because you cover the Department of Labor, do you hear any, you know, any movement or any, any discussion about making that a national thing? Could we see the next Secretary of Labor you know, move forward with, 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 with a national type of mandated vacation rules, similar to minimum wage, similar to the overtime rules, or do you think that it's too premature for that? Well, I think, so I believe uh, a, a national standard for paid leave would have to be something out of Congress. So I don't think the department yeah. would be okay. able to act on this. Um, now it's, Interesting. You know, this is something that kind of has gone back and forth throughout the years. Um, And at times it seemed like it would be more possible than in other times. But this Congress, there is a working group uh, in the House that has been working on paid leave legislation. They have been meeting monthly um, 
and they are looking at all these states, like you said. I mean, there there have been there's been a few states who have passed laws. Um, Washington State, um, D.C., Virginia has a, a different model. Um, so you know, and we could see something on paid leave um, in the Senate. Um, the the senator who has been kind of leading this has been Bill Cassidy, along with um, Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, Cassidy though, has been more focused on uh, family leave, um, not sick leave. Um, he says that that's kind of what the debate is mostly about. So it's it's what he's been uh, mostly looking at. And there are different models. I mean, uh, you know, it, some um, say that it should be uh, a government program that would pay for that time off. Others would like to see... Uh, employers giving uh, 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 a private option uh, through uh, insurance. So, you know, there are a few models that they're looking at. But I know that the, this working group has been looking at all these local um, standards. Um, but I don't think we're going to see any type of proposal this year, more likely next year. Um, and they'll work through this. But there has been more appetite. Um, in Congress for paid time, uh, for paid leave uh, legislation. So we may we may see some action there. Uh, still, uh, I think a little premature to say exactly what that will look like, though. Diego Arreos Munoz is the uh, writer for covers labor, Department of Labor and all things labor for the Bloomberg Industry Group, Bloomberg Law, correct? Right. Okay, good. Just wanted to make sure that Diego, where can people find you? Well, they can uh, they can find me on uh, Bloomberg Law, uh, and they can find me on Twitter at uh, uh, Diego Arias Munoz, kind of uh, at Diego Arias Munoz, my complete uh, my full name. Uh, so they can Perfect. find me there too. It's great. Hey, you're awesome. Thank you so much. This update is super helpful to all of us. We're all trying to figure out what these rules that are, are coming and how we can navigate our businesses around them, how to prepare and. Uh, you did exactly that. And like I said, I've covered half of what we'll talk about. We'll have you back because there's <laughs> other stuff that I wanted to discuss with you. But um, I, I just want to just say thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Gene. appreciate you making the time. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Incorporated 2023, all rights reserved.